This is my Bible. It is the Word of God, and it is the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am, seated right now in Christ Jesus, in the heavenly realms, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. As I'm taught the Word of God, my life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. Amen. Give five people a high five and you may be seated this evening. Amen. We've been saying this week that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. Say it out loud. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. Monday evening, we were in Matthew 25, and we were talking about stewardship. I said stewardship. God expects you to be a good steward of what he has already given you, and God expects you to honor him with what he has already given to you. And last evening, we started looking at a, we started looking at the same principle, but in the Old Testament, we looked at the sad story of King Saul. And King Saul in 1 Samuel is a lesson for every Christian. God can call you. God can change you into a different person. God can anoint you. God can give you position and wealth. But if you do not do what God says do, your life will end in ruin. Obedience is the key to everything. Say it out loud. Obedience, Obedience. is the key to everything. So we saw last evening, we're not going to repeat. Uh, God called Saul. God changed Saul into a different person. God anointed Saul. God gave Saul position and wealth. But because Saul did not do what God commanded him to do, his life ended in ruin. In 1 Samuel 12, we saw that Samuel retired and he gave his farewell speech. And in the very next chapter, chapter 13, was Saul's first act of disobedience. We dealt with this last evening, and I don't want to go over it again. Suffice it to say that Saul did not follow instructions. Saul did not wait for Samuel. Saul offered a burnt offering himself, even though he was not authorized to do so. 1 Samuel 13, 11, what did Samuel say? What have you done? Verse 13, you acted foolishly, Samuel said. Again in verse 13, if you had followed instructions, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. And verse 14, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, we're not going to rehearse it, but we saw last evening from the writings of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians that these things are given to us as examples so that we do not have an evil heart like they did. In other words, we don't go to the Old Testament looking for laws and rules and regulations. 
We go to the Old Testament and we find principles because no matter whether it no matter whether it is the Old Testament or the New Testament or what covenant we are talking about, God is the same God. He says, I am the Lord and I change not. So God's criteria was this and only this, Saul, are you going to do what I tell you to do or not? That's it. That was God's criteria. And then last evening we left off in 1 Samuel 15 and we were looking at Saul's second act of disobedience and because we ended in the middle of the story, we are going to start there again. 1 Samuel 15 verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel, so listen now to, the mess, to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them on their way up out of Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now we said last evening, these were the instructions of the Lord, like it or lump it, but this is what God wanted. Also, we don't have time to get into it, but a lot of these peoples were not pure in their DNA. They were not pure in their genetics we don't have time to go into all of that. That's where the giants came from, and a lot of the giants were from this group, these Amalekites. Verse 4, so Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. And if you're looking for the mercy of God in this story, there it is. We have on display the judgment of God and the mercy of God. He gave the Kenites opportunity to not be destroyed. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. Verse 8, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and his people he just totally destroyed with a sword. In other words, he disobeyed God's instructions through the prophet Samuel, and we find out in a moment he pounced on the plunder. He kept the plunder. Verse 9, but Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. They pounced on the plunder, and they kept everything that was good. They disobeyed God's instructions through the prophet Samuel. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Listen, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've been mulling this over, and I'm running out of time because it's already Wednesday. Last evening, I rehearsed a passage that has stopped me the last couple of Wednesdays on Wednesday night, Mark 6. It says specifically in Mark 6 that Jesus in his hometown could do no mighty miracle there. Depending on the translation, it says, save, lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them of minor ailments. And the Bible says that he was astounded. He was amazed. He was appalled at their lack of faith. So what was Jesus' solution? He went around village to village, town to town, teaching the word of God. 
The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We were in the back behind the stage and the band was playing something and it took me back mentally to some days back at our first facility at I-30 and Fielder Road and I was telling my family back there that, uh, man, we had us some good times. I mean, we swung from the chandeliers. We didn't have chandeliers. But I mean, you know, we hooped and hollered and, uh, you know, we had a good time. But we did not have all of this until I started standing up and teaching the Word of God. Say it out loud. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so... Somebody might say, Pastor, how long are you going to do these meetings? Well, I'm just imitating the Lord. When I see a lack of faith, we, the thing to do is not lay hands on everybody. Amen. The thing to do is do what Jesus did, and that is teach and teach and teach, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. And there are folks and... They like a show. And I, I, I enjoy a show, but I have to say I enjoy my Bentley more. Is that, is that crass? A little bit? He says it's a little crass, but it's good. See? I'm just, I'm, I'm mulling over what can you handle. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus' solution to their lack of faith was he went around from village to village and town to town teaching them the word of God. November. 1949, Oral Roberts pitched his tent for the first time in Dallas, Texas. And he was there for weeks. And over the course of the weeks, he laid hands on about 6,000 people. Now, there's not much Pentecostal holiness in this area. There's not much foursquare presence in this area. So that meeting was sponsored by the Church of God and the Assemblies of God. So when that meeting was over, the district superintendent of the Assemblies of God asked for copies of the cards of the people who had gone through the healing line, about 6,000. And they sent those people a questionnaire. And they asked them basically two questions. Were you healed in that meeting? And six weeks later, are you still healed? 6,000 people. They get the response back. Oh, and what is your religious background? They get the response back, and here it is, and this explains the method at Faith Christian Center. 80% of the people 
who were Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Roman Catholic or something like that, 80%, 80% were healed and they were still healed six weeks later. But out of Pentecostal people, Church of God, Assemblies of God, or some other such Pentecostal background, six weeks later, only 10% said that they had been healed and were still healed. Now, if you want to understand this, Austin can post the link. June 1988, Frederick K. C. Price at the Maybe Center, the other side of Signs and Wonders. Signs and wonders are not primarily for the believer. Signs and wonders are to put the kingdom on display for the unbeliever. But the believer, God expects the believer to grow some faith and to walk by faith and not by sight. And so you have these evangelists and you have people and their theory is to lay hands on everybody every night. See, I could come down here. I couldn't count how many people I've seen healed of cancer, blind eyes open, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see. I've done all of that. But what would be the point of coming down here six nights, laying hands on everybody six nights and trying maybe, maybe, maybe because you are well taught. Amen. I don't know that we could hit 10%. You understand, God expects something out of you. Amen. Because you're not a bunch of people that haven't been taught. And that's why we're doing these meetings like we're doing them. James 2. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving or deluding your own selves. And to me, that's what a lot of Pentecostalism is. Hoop, holler, hang from the chandelier, fall down, get up, get pushed down. A lot of that is so people, it's a, it's, it's a panacea for their life not being so wonderful. And, and I understand it. I do. But I would rather live in surplus. I'd rather, I'd rather be healed when I confess healing. I'd rather the work, word work for me than just feel better about my lousy situation. Are you, are you understanding, what I'm, understanding what I'm saying tonight? So that's why we do what we do. Pastor, I've never been to a six-night meeting, you know, where we didn't hoop and holler and scream and, and you know, fall down. I get it. I get it. That can be exciting. I get it. But that won't allow you to buy a nicer house. That won't allow you to live in a safe neighborhood. That won't help you get out of debt. Do you understand? You'll just be bruised from falling while you're still in debt. Do you understand? And so James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's the power. And that's what we're seeing tonight in this story. We saw it in Matthew's gospel in the parable of the talents. 
The guy, with five, the guy given five talents of money went at once. He didn't just went, he went at once. And he doubled the money. The guy, was, the guy who had been given two talents doubled the money. The guy who had been given one talent sat on it. And these words, amazing words, fell from the lips of Jesus. He, in telling the story, he said, you wicked, lazy, worthless servant. So God's criteria with Saul was only one thing. Saul, are you going to do what I tell you to do? Verse 9, but Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Verse 10, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. We pioneered this church 38 and one half years ago and I could not count how many full gospel churches we have seen come and go in 38 and one half years. I think sometimes God blesses people and they have a crowd and they have some income. And I think that God then grieves that he blessed them. See, the question is, what are you going to do with the blessing of the Lord? Ask your neighbor, what are you going to do with the blessing of the Lord. And there it is. He says, I am grieved that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. So there it is. You know, it's just an amazing thing. You know, I guess in my day, God bless Sue and I, it was not a shocker that God was in charge. But this generation seems to have trouble with that. He's the creator, I'm not. He made the earth, I didn't. He created Adam and Eve, I didn't. He's in charge, I'm not. My generation didn't seem to have trouble with that, but this generation seems to have trouble with that. Well, who is the Lord to tell me what to do? Well, he's got this place called hell. So God's criteria was this and only this, Saul, are you gonna do what I tell you to do or not? That's it, that's all. I mean, think about it. How many of you are in management? Let me see your hand if you're in management. Wherever you are, you're in management. If you have an employee and they consistently don't do what you tell them to do, of what value are they? Can you fix it by laying hands on them? Well, maybe. But not biblically. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And that's the ministry, friends. That's the ministry. People do wrong and they don't grieve, but we in the ministry grieve over them. We grieve for them. We grieve because they don't even know what they're doing to themselves. But we grieve, but they don't grieve. They don't even care. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Saul did what? After disobeying God, he actually set up a monument to himself in his own honor. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And we left off last night talking about how nobody says I mean, in all these years, 49 years and one month of preaching the gospel, nobody has ever said to me, Pastor, you don't want to ask me to do that because I'm unfaithful. Pastor, you don't want to ask me to do that because I'll let you down. 
Pastor, you don't want to you don't want to ask me to do that because I'm morally unfit to do that. Everybody thinks they're faithful even when they're not faithful. Verse 14, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? I mean, critical thinking is gone. All you got to do is go to the Drudge Report any given week and look at cases this year, 2022, versus cases last year, and deaths this year versus deaths last year, and whatever metric you want to look at, it's worse. And yet they would have you believe what they're doing's working. If it ain't working, it ain't working. And, and Samuel said, what then is that bleeding of sheep in my hearing? In other words, if you had done what the Lord told me to tell you to do, I wouldn't be hearing this sheep bleeding in my hearing. In other words, he was just dealing with the facts and thinking critically. Samuel called Saul's hand on his claim to have carried out the Lord's instructions. The evidence of Saul's disobedience was the noise being made by the sheep, the cattle, the calves, and the lambs. Saul answered, verse 15, the soldiers, who's he going to blame? Is he going to take responsibility? Talk to me. Is he going to take personal responsibility? Now, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. He's not even calling the Lord his God. He's calling the Lord Samuel's God. But we totally destroyed the rest. This is called excuse making. I disobeyed because I have a better idea. And get this, because people still do this today. People do this constant, super fake spirituality to cover up the fact that they don't do anything directed in the Bible, and as a result, their lives are filled with trouble, and they subsequently want to blame others for their self-inflicted misfortunes. Now, you're going to hear it as direct as I've ever said it. You stay away from weirdo people. If somebody acts more spiritual than you're accustomed to, run. I, let me say it this way. If somebody acts more spiritual than Pastor Sue Lingerfeld, you need to get away from them. The whole creepy, creepy, heebie-jeebie, Because it's always a sentimental, sentimentality cover-up for them not being a doer of the word of God. Amen. Well, you know, brother, the Lord, the Lord led me to cheat you. Well, you know, brother, you know, I, I had a word from the Lord and he told me to take your wife. I mean, you cannot believe what we have heard people blame on God through super spirituality. The Holy, tell your neighbor, the Holy Spirit of God is not going to lead you to violate the Bible. So 
Verse 16 is the anointing Pastor Sue has on her. He screams, stop. <laughs> and maybe a, a, a few theatrics to go with it. Stop. In other words, my, my ears can't take this level of you know what. Stop. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. We saw that last night. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? See, the question is not, remember we dealt with this last night. Saul had been anointed by God and Saul prophesied. So the question wasn't, Saul, why aren't you prophesying? The question wasn't, Saul, why aren't you uh, at a prayer meeting? The question wasn't, well, Saul, how come you're not falling out under the power? The question wasn't, well, Saul, where's your flag to dance with in church? The question, the criteria, the metric was, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And remember, all of this is after Achan. They knew the story of Achan. Why did you pounce on the plunder? And listen, I've served him long enough. I've been in this long enough. I have witnessed enough to tell you that whatever the plunder is today, it is not worth pouncing upon because whatever the plunder is today, the Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai, has got more plunder coming up down the road. So we don't have to be like Achan and take the silver and the clothes and hide them under the tent. Because there's more coming. See, that's what the Spirit of God is asking everyone this evening who's not following what? The written instructions of the Bible on money. And it's not just tithing. We're talking about all of it, saving money, all of it, all of it, being a blessing to your family, being a blessing to your children. Verse 19, why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. And Saul is lying. I said, Saul is lying. Can you see this? One reason Christians are defeated is because they are self-deceived. Self That's why James says, James, who was James? James was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Acts calls him an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he happened to serve as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Sound familiar? He was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, Luke, uh, Mark chapter 6, one of the reasons they got offended at the Lord Jesus Christ was they said, isn't this the son of Joseph and Mary? And aren't all of his brothers and sisters here with us? I mean, Mary was awful busy for being the perpetual virgin. Amen. <laughs> James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he did not get saved, he did not get converted until after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can completely understand this because none of us would want to admit that our stepbrother was God. Amen. 
And James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Listen, we're living in an age, Professor Desmond from Belgium talks about mass formation psychosis. And now we're not just seeing people being self-deceived person by person, we're seeing entire societies being self-deceived. Austin was telling us before we came out here, they're doing hysterectomies on adolescents in Massachusetts uh, to confirm their gender identity. Listen, suicide, the suicide rate has never been higher, but we haven't seen anything yet. And we haven't seen anything yet with regard to young people being angry. Wait until they find out what their college-educated suburban white mom did to them. Amen. There's no telling the angst, the anger that is coming down the road. People are self-deceived. They talk themselves into whatever they're into. The only metric we can go by that is sure and solid and we know we're not going to get off course is the written word of God. Not even what you heard in prayer this morning. What you heard in prayer this morning, you have got to take it to the written word of God and see if it lines up or not. If it doesn't line up, throw it out. Amen. We have to go by the word. Amen. We're going to be judged by the word. The word, actually, I think I can say with absolute certainty in 2022, the word of God is the only unchanging thing left. Everything is devolving, getting worse. It's all a lie. I mean, two weeks ago, they even redefined the meaning of the word recession because two quarters of negative growths, domestic product was inconvenient to their narrative. You can't even trust the language anymore. He said, but I did obey the Lord. Verse 21, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God. And that is a key phrase, devoted to God. You see the exact same phrase in the sad story of Achan, devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit right here. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'll, I'll probably repeat some of this in a few minutes. And so you have people and they're not doers of the word of God. They cover that over with fake super spirituality. They do all this super spooky spirituality stuff to feel better about their lousy situation. And they say, you know, that's why, you know, they love songs like I'm a friend of God, although they haven't done one doggone thing God ever said to do. And then, because they created their own hell on earth, instead of creating days of heaven upon earth, because they created their own days of hell on earth, then they embrace the curse. 
Go on any social media and, and see what Christians are saying about my surgery. We had a friend of a friend talking about how that this was a few years ago and the, he got so many months into the year and he was shocked because he hadn't had a surgery yet. And before the year was out, he, sure enough, he had a surgery. And not enough and not enough and not enough and pray about this and, you know, raise money for that and go fund me and all the rest because they're, they're, they don't even see it. They don't even see it. Why? But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so they think they're serving God with sacrifice. There's blinding revelation here if you'll get it. They think they're serving God with sacrifice. See how I'm doing without. See how I'm suffering in my body. See how all my children hate me. I'm so misunderstood. Uh, see how, you know, see my car get repossessed. See my house get foreclosed. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Go to my GoFundMe page and they're, they don't even realize what they're doing. They're telling everybody they're not blessed, they're cursed, but they don't see it that way. The way they see it is they are sacrificing for the Lord. But I want you to see it from the word of God that God does not want your sacrifice. God does not need your sacrifice. God does not need your suffering. God does not need your doing without. God does not need your whining and crying and complaining and defeat. God wants your obedience. And I've discovered in my short time on the planet that if I'll obey, I just don't do much suffering. <laughs> Pastor, that's just a little bit selfish. You better believe it. Because you know what? This is why women give birth. If men gave birth, there'd be no babies because men just don't, they don't like pain. They don't like suffering. How many of you women can testify there's nothing worse than a male in your house who's not feeling well? <laughs> the world stops. If the woman's not feeling well, hey, the dish has got to be done, the wash has got to be done, the diaper's got to be changed, the kids have got to be fed. But if a man's not feeling well, it all comes to a halt. Am I right? God doesn't want our sacrifice. He wants our obedience. And I've discovered that if I'll just obey, I'm not doing any sacrifice. See, my, this is why Romans 12 talks about a holy and acceptable sacrifice before the Lord. What is a holy and acceptable sacrifice before the Lord? Not your suffering, not your surgery, not your uh, car being repossessed, not your house being foreclosed, your obedience. And this generation is going to be judged harshly because the exact same generation of Christians that wouldn't obey the written word of God, they obeyed everything Fauci and Burke said do. And Fauci doesn't even have a hell. Although, 
He's only, I mean, he's 80 plus years old. He's not that far from it, but it's not his. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And here it is, to obey is better than sacrifice. Shout it out loud. To obey is better than sacrifice. Shout it out loud again. To obey is better than sacrifice. Shout it again. To obey is better than sacrifice. That's why, that's why 39, 30, 38 and a half years, you've never heard us do an offering and talk about sacrifice. Have you? Have you ever heard me talk about sacrifice? I don't want you to sacrifice. I don't want your children to sacrifice. And no offense, but y'all don't look like you've been missing any meals. I don't look like I've been missing any meals. My point is, we're not wanting sacrifice. We're wanting you to be a doer of the word of God and so you can learn how to give off the surplus. That's what we're teaching and preaching here is live a lifestyle of being a doer of the word of God and then you just give off the surplus. It's the easiest thing in the world. But people, people, you know why they don't do it? And it's coming up, it's coming up. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams? For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. So he's saying, if you don't follow instructions, you are akin to a, a, a witch, a sorceress, and an idolater. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. These are strong words. I didn't write them. This is Samuel. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. How many of you want to get rejected? Let me see the hands of everybody who wants to get rejected by the Lord. Well, nobody. So we cannot afford to reject the word of the Lord. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid. Shout it out loud. He was afraid. He was afraid. At least that was his excuse. You cannot make a good decision in fear. It is impossible to make a good decision in fear. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You know what Samuel was saying? Look, dude, our days of fellowship are done. And this is why some people can't pull ahead because of their friends. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. He said, you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors to one better than you. I don't want to hear that. I don't want the Lord to say, I don't want the Lord, I don't want the Lord to take me to a warehouse and say, now all of this stuff was set aside for you, but because you're a word rejecter, we're giving all of this stuff in this warehouse to somebody who's better than you. I don't want to hear that. Amen. Tell your neighbor, this was in the Bible the whole time. 
He who is the, in this verse we quote all the time, verse 29, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind for he is not a man that he should change his mind. That, that's that word of faith verse we quote all the time. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. I've said, honor me. See, me, 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 my, 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 me, me, me. Erect a, a, a monument, set up a statue, honor me, 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 my, my. Look, it's not about that. But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Now, Saul is not even claiming the Lord is his God. He's saying that the Lord is Samuel's God. And notice what Samuel, what he says, please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Verse 31, so Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him confidently thinking surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gil Gilgal. Say, say to your neighbor, now that's a man of God. And if you're new to Faith Christian Center, see, if you are a, a person who's been around Faith Christian Center for a while, you're not surprised at the reading of the Word of God. Why do we have so many scriptures? Well, because that's the basis of our faith. But if you're new to Faith Christian Center, you might have just been horrified at what we just read. Why did Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord of Gilgal? Because those were the instructions of the Lord. Get it? That's what God said do. Yeah, but I don't understand it. We're not walking by understanding. We're walking by faith. We were marked by it. Sue and I met David Yonggi Cho, January of 1980, and we were marked by it. He said, I pray and I obey. And he pioneered and built and pastored the largest church in the entire world. He said, I pray and I obey. It's not very complicated. Samuel obeyed God where Saul had failed to obey God. Wrapping this up, verse 34, then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul until the day Samuel died. He did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. My God, my God, my God. If that, if that had been some of us, Samuel would have spent the rest of his life, well, I'm just reaching out, you know, I'm just trying to help him, you know, I'm just trying to, no, no, no. When somebody sets a course to not be a doer of the word of God, you can bless them from a distance. But you don't want to fellowship with them because what's on them, divination, sorcery, idolatry could get on you. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. And notice that until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. So we're not under any obligation to fellowship with people. I have read the Bible over and over and over and over and over, and I don't see any command telling me I got a fellowship with people who are unbelievers or people who are disobedient or people who are living in rebellion against the Lord. 
So our attitude is this, and we, we taught our children this. We wish them well with their lives, but they cannot be a part of ours. So we bless them. And every time, whether it is the Holy Spirit of God or the devil, doesn't matter, every time they come to mind, I say out loud, Lord, bless them. Because Jesus said, bless those who curse you. And so I say, Lord, bless them. Now, that doesn't mean I go have lunch with them. That doesn't mean I fellowship with them. You're awful quiet. You're either thinking or you're thinking about uh, getting rid of me. I'm not sure what you're thinking. I'm just trying to help you. I said, I'm just trying to help you. You know what I notice is when I hang out with people that like mine, the Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What I've discovered is when I hang out with my own kind, I get stronger. So with all those blessings and advantages, Saul did not do what God commanded him to do. And his life was ruined and his life ended in shambles. Number six, and we're picking up from last evening, number six, obedience is the key to everything. Say it out loud, obedience is the key to everything. And isn't it fascinating because here I am standing here on a Wednesday night, what is it, August 10, 2022, teaching the exact opposite of the new thing. And the new thing is, you don't have to do nothing. Name one thing in life where doing nothing works. Does doing nothing work in gardening? Does doing nothing work in farming? Does doing nothing work in ranching? Does doing nothing work in bodybuilding? Does doing nothing work in weight control? Name one thing doing nothing works in. Fasting but who's going to do that, right? It's obviously a ridiculous lie that God blesses everybody the same. See, obedience is the key to everything. To obey is better than sacrifice. Say it out loud. To obey is better than sacrifice. Most Christians out here brag about how they're doing without serving the Lord when actually what they're doing is celebrating the curse. God does not want you to do without. Say it out loud. God doesn't want me to do without. See, God wants you to cheerfully and gladly obey. And who did replace Saul? Acts 13, 22. Now we're in the New Testament. Acts 13, 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That was God's criteria. He will do everything I, I want him to do. That was God's criteria. He will do everything I want him to do. That was God's criteria. Not he's a sharp dresser. Not he's having a good hair day. Not he's got 100,000 followers on Instagram. Every metric our world is using is a lie. There's only one metric. We dealt with this Sunday night and Monday night. 
the, the master's return seems delayed, but the master will return and the master will settle accounts. And there's only one metric that matters. Did we do what God told us to do? That's it. Why David? Because God said of David, he will do everything I want him to do. Say it out loud, with joy and gladness. With joy and gladness. With joy and gladness. Do I serve you? Oh Lord my God, in my day of prosperity. That's the way I begin every day in prayer. Where do I get that from? Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. This could have been written to the United States of America. Therefore, in hunger and thirst and nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. We often quote Isaiah 119, but what does Isaiah 119 say in context? If you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the best from the land. But verse 20 says, but if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So yes, yes, yes. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. And I love it. I love it. I love it. Since the very first time I ever heard Kenneth Hagin, I'm talking about the one that went to be with the Lord in 2003. The first time I heard him in Isaiah 119, I loved it and I still love it tonight. But there is another side to the coin. <laughs> if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Look, I'm a smart guy. I don't want to be devoured by the sword. I want to ride on the heights of the, the wings of, the, of God. I want to be willing and obedient with joy and gladness, with joy and gladness, with joy and gladness. Do I serve you, Lord, my God, in my day of prosperity? I mean, this is how I begin prayer every day, three times, with joy and gladness, with joy and gladness, with joy and gladness. And I dance while I'm saying it, with joy and gladness, with joy and gladness, with joy and gladness. Do I serve you, Lord, my God, in my day of prosperity? I don't want there to be a doubt. I don't want there to be a shadow of a doubt in his mind that when I get up tomorrow morning, Thursday, August 11, 2022, that if he tells me to give something, I'm going to give it. If he tells me to call and ask somebody's forgiveness, I'm going to call and ask their forgiveness. If he tells me to do this or that, I'm going to do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can count on me. And what I've discovered is he hardly tells me to do anything. But on occasion, he does. In 1 Samuel 2.30, when God rejected Eli for not following instructions, God said through Samuel, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. Look that word disdain up. What does that mean? Ignored. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be ignored. When I go to God and I need a healing in my body, I do not want to be ignored. He said, those who honor me. What does is, what is the word of God say to do with your money? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Uh, prove yourself trustworthy. Be a good steward with what God has already given you, and God will give you more. Honor the Lord with what God's already given you, and God will give you more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. In Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. 
That's why Jesus went around teaching and preaching in the towns and villages. He was appalled at their lack of faith. He was shocked at their lack of faith. And his solution was they need more word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But at the end of the day, you have to have faith spring up in your heart. At the end of the day, you've got to believe it. At the end of the day, you've got to repeat what God has said. At the end of the day, you've got to take action on what God has said and, and keep it in front of you. God wants obedience. God does not want sacrifice. Most Christians out here brag about how they're doing without serving the Lord. What they're actually doing is celebrating the curse. Actually, the opposite is the case. Isaiah 119 in the Living Bible says, if you will only let me help you, if you will only obey, then I will make you rich. If you will only let me help you, if you will only obey, then I will make you rich. And here's the beautiful thing about it. The beautiful thing about it. Moses taught that every man should bring a gift commensurate with his income. The beautiful thing about it is that the poor man's tithe, it isn't very much, but the rich man's tithe, it's a heck of a lot. And then the beautiful thing is once we get past being a doer of the word of God on that first fruit, that first thin dime out of every dollar, well, then we're not under any compunction whatsoever except to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he is good and he is our shepherd and he leads us into the green pastures and he leads us beside the still waters. When he told me to give a million dollars into the building fund in January of 19, in January of 2018, I was not starting out. You know, the first big gift we ever gave in our married life together was in 1977. We were going backwards. I was working, Sue was working, we were tithing. We were going backwards. We ventured out and bought a second car. We shouldn't have done that. It was too soon. It was too early. And then the second car had mechanical problems. We were going backwards. We got down to $1,400. I said, let's just give it, see what God will do. There was no faith in it. It was desperation. It was panic. But the law of faith works. And the law of seed time and harvest works. And within 30 days, somebody gave us a car that was worth about $2,800. It wasn't new, but it was nearly new. It was under warranty. And we, we were thrilled to get a two-fold return. Don't be bringing me no two-fold return anymore. <laughs> but in 1977, I was thrilled with a two-fold return. Man, man, you know, we were, man, we were doing the Pentecostal routine over a two-fold return. Man, we were so thrilled. We were so happy. But the point is we were on our way. We were on our way. We were on our way. Amen. You got to start. You got to start. You got to start. When he told me to put the roof on Missionary Bud Sickler's church, February of 1997, that was a heck of a stretch, a half million dollars. You have no idea because I looked it up, the cash... The church had on hand then was about $170,000. We didn't have $500,000. So I, I had to raise it to give it. Amen. So the Lord knows where you are. See, that's the beautiful thing about being led by the Holy Spirit of God because he is our shepherd. He leads us beside the still waters. He leads us into the green pastures. He knows your situation. He knows what your income is. You know what I'm saying? He knows more about you than you know who, who's listening probably right now. Uh, 
he, he knows your situation. So he is going to give you a custom-tailored word from the Lord for you for where you are to get you to where you want to be. And also he knows, he knows, he knows what you can handle. And he leads us and he guides us. You're wonderful. You're wonderful. Have I told you that today? You're wonderful. And I love you and I thank you. You've led me to this blessed place. We got here, we didn't get here through our smarts. We didn't get here because we're shrewd. We didn't get here because, you know, we know a whole lot. We got here following the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And a lot of people, you know, they follow that Holy Spirit. They do the, you know, they act like they got Tourette syndrome. And you know what I'm saying? They act weird. Ain't no weird here. We just hear and we obey. Amen. Tell your neighbor, ain't no weird here. You find weird here, you, you, tell, you tell Pastor Sue, she'll get rid of it. <laughs> now, don't be bothering me with it. I don't want to know anything about it. Amen. That whole herky-jerky thing, man, that's, let me tell you what. The reason more people are not clamoring to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is they met too many weirdos. Yes. Amen. If, they, if they had met more uh, mega successes and fewer weirdos, everybody would want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're awful quiet. Are you thinking or plotting? The reason God's people do without is because they've been disobedient. Glory! Man, I came out here Wednesday night to hear that pastor. My job is to preach the word. You know, that my pillow guy, he's supposed to make you comfortable. My job, my job, my job is to teach and preach the word of God. And he does a discount. We ain't doing no discounts here. The reason God's people do without is because they've been disobedient and wanting to self-justify themselves. They don't admit they're doing without because they've disobeyed God, so they blame God. Well, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're not. You're suffering for yourself. Let me tell you what, he's beautiful. My father, my daddy, he's beautiful. When I committed that that million dollars, and he told me how to do that. I'm not going to rehearse that. I did the other night. Uh, I walk in my closet one day after that, and he was laughing at me. I heard him. I heard him. He was laughing. He said, that slowed you down, didn't it? I said, no, sir. A man, I whirled right around. I said, no, sir. I said, I'm not slowing down. I'm going to keep buying suits. I'm going to keep buying shoes. I'm going to keep buying ties. I said, you watch me. You watch me. You, I, I, no, 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 no. I'm not slowing down. I said, you know why? I'm going to believe the money in. You cannot offend him by believing him. You offend him by disobeying him. But you cannot offend him by believing him. Now, don't go out here and believe for a billion dollars because we dealt with this Last night, he leads us and he guides us through steps. He leads us and he guides us through stages. And you're not too old to start. 
You're looking at a man who never consistently saved money until he was 33 years old. You're looking at a man who never even owned a new automobile until he was 35 years old. Tell your neighbor, you're not too old. Tell the neighbor on the other side, you're not too old. But you got to start. Just like that loser, you know, who always blames all of his or her troubles on others. Christians who disobey God and do without blame all their troubles on others. They blame, and they blame their troubles on God. And when they blame their troubles on God, they double down on the curse. If you blame God, where are you going for your help? The Bible says, I look to the hills from whence cometh my help. In other words, I'm looking to the Lord for my help. If I blame God for my troubles, who's going to help me? If you would just obey God, if you would just follow his instructions, if you would just give up your doing without lifestyle and walk in the covenant and blessing of God. If you would obey, you don't have to do without. That's my word for Wednesday night, August 10. Is it the 10th? August 10, 2022, if you would obey God, you wouldn't have to do without. If you would obey God, did I tell you? If you obey God, you don't have to do without. If you'd obey God, you don't have to do without. Now, I'm not talking about a microwave two minutes. I'm not saying you'll be there by Tuesday. No, no, because he leads us and guides us through stages, through steps. If you will only let me help you, if you will only obey, then I will make you rich. So obedience is the key to everything. Say it out loud. Obedience is the key to everything. And last point, number seven, obedience is the obvious key to a life blessed by God. Number seven, obedience is the obvious key to a life blessed by God. Say it again. Obedience is the key to everything. So the sad story of Saul in 1 Samuel is a lesson for every Christian. It's one of those examples that Paul talked about. God can call you. God can change you into a different person. God can anoint you. God can give you position and wealth. But if you do not do what God says to do, your life will end in ruin. Obedience is the key to everything. And my word tonight is do not make God regret blessing you. I mean, think about it. Think about it. If I went off here and got a chippy on the side, God would regret blessing me. He'd regret blessing me. I cannot afford for God to regret blessing me. So I stay in my lanes. You know, I had a pastor friend call me years ago. This is years ago. And he said, what am I going to do? He said, I got these women in this church that he just had been voted into a church. He said, I got these women in this church and they want counseling and they want to meet with me alone. And he said, you know, they wear mini skirts and all this stuff. I said, look, brother, you can't be doing that. I said, you can't, you know, meet with them with your wife or have your wife meet with them. I said, you can't do that. You, you know, what's wrong with you? You can't do that. Yeah, but they expect it. And, and I thought, he's not going to listen to me. I got off the phone. You know, we've had people upset. You know, pastor, pa pastor won't meet with me. Uh, hell no. <laughs> I pastor the men and Sue pastors the women. You see that? What am I doing? Staying in my lane. What am I doing? Protecting myself. See, I don't know about you. I got to protect myself. Do you understand this? Because I can't afford for the Lord to regret blessing me. Amen. 
You know why? Because as ridiculously and obnoxiously blessed as we are, we have this whole boatload of blessing coming up ahead of us. And I can't, I don't want to miss a thing. 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 I don't want to miss one thing. I don't want, I have not seen nor ear heard what God has in store for those who love him. And how does God know who loves him? Did, did Saul love him? Talk to me, did Saul love him? Did David love him? Talk to me, did David love him? Yes. How does God know who loves him? By who's doing what God says do. And I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor has anyone spoken of what God will do in the lives of those who love him. So I can't miss a thing. I can't, I can't, I can't take the chance. I can't, I can't mess up. I can't get off course. I can't get outside of my lanes because I'm, see, I'm going somewhere. I'm like Nehemiah on the wall. No, no, no. I don't have time to come down and talk to you. I'm, I'm building this wall. I'm on my way. I'm on my, my way. I'm headed somewhere. God has been blessing. God has been rewarding. God has been answering. God has been healing. God has been meeting the need. God has been enriching. God has been granting success. I can't come down off the wall and talk to you. No, 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 no. I'm busy about the work of the Lord. I'm, I'm doing what the Lord said do. I'm listening to what the Holy Spirit said do, and I'm doing what the Holy Spirit said do. Well, what if the Lord doesn't say do anything? Then I take a nap. Because I'm 66 years old now, and it takes more naps than it used to. I rest. And now there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And out of all of that bunch, if you do the math, we're talking about between two and three million Israelites left Egypt. Now, probably half were women and probably half were children. So three quarters of a million or so adult males. We know this because they did a census of the fighting men later. And they headed out of Egypt. And God wanted every one of them to be free. And God loved them to this extent that not one of them wore out a pair of sandals in 40 years. And God loved them to such an extent he gave them the bread of angels. And God loved them to such an extent that he brought water out of a rock and God loved them to such an extent that even when they complained about the lack of protein in their diet, God brought in quail from the sea and they ate it until it was coming out of their noses. Amen. But out of an estimated three quarters of a million adult men, two entered the rest of God. Amen. The only question tonight is, 
will you be one of the two?